All right, y'all, what is happening? This is your man, L. Jamal, coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. This is the place we can say what you want as long as you got the facts. Today, well, this morning to be exact, uh, we have a little bit to talk about, a couple different things to talk about. For one, I'll be getting to the main news story of the week with the, uh, the Trump impeachment inquiry. Of course, uh, the House is looking to make those, uh, will make impeachment happen at some point, but they need to do an investigation first. We're going to talk a little bit about that i got some college football to go over as well and then uh to wrap everything up i got some uh boxing to go over of course we have some nfl action going on today and of course it's the last day of the mlb season depending on how i feel tonight i will be coming back uh, to talk a little bit about that or i'll just wait till tomorrow no morning and give you guys a monday morning special uh but again uh there is some nfl news to go over as well uh also some baseball to go over so that'll come later but today Today we'll be having some Trump news as well as some college football news. And again, like I said, we'll be wrapping everything up with some boxing. We got a middle, uh, sorry, not a middle, I don't know why I keep thinking about the middleweights, but we will have a welterweight uh, championship to go over. Of course, Sean Porter and Errol Spence faced off last night. But of course, let's get into it, like I said, uh, with the news, with the word on the street segment for today. And of course, how Democrats have decided to subpoena the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, uh, and they want some information about the U the Ukraine, uh, the possible uh, investigation that Trump wanted to uh, have undergo in the Ukraine. Of course, uh, Trump has recently been accused of encouraging Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky to investigate Joe Biden and his son. Now, again, this has not been proven. The Republican side is saying uh, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats have been catfished. It's drama. Uh, the Democrats are, are claiming, of course, um, they also, uh, the Democrats and the intelligence committee will also be conducting dispositions in the matter as well. Uh, they basically want a full transcript of the phone calls and then also any records re relating to the Trump, uh, the Trump denying the UK, uh, UK, Ukraine recently up to $391 million of defense aid. Again, that's a very, again, now, for a group of people, for a man who says he's doing nothing wrong, he definitely does some questionable things. Uh, I'm definitely not understanding why he would not give Ukraine uh, their defense aid right away. Uh, eventually they got it, but of course there is some drama there with them not getting it on time. Uh, there, That might have been something to do with them not wanting to investigate Biden. Again, we don't know exactly per se. There hasn't been a full, well, the investigation is currently underway but that's the that is the ramifications of what we have here we have a current official current president uh basically trying to sabotage the next election uh by uh investigating or you know having a private eye a foreign private eye on another candidate again this hasn't been proven yet but again it's a matter of time well, that we know something at least. Uh, Mike Pompeo has been given a week to come up with his info, to give his information to Congress, and the House would hold uh, the House will be holding depositions uh, for Marie L. Uh, Yovanovitch, who was the former American ambassador to the Ukraine, also George Kent, the Deputy Associate uh, Secretary for European and Eurasian Affairs, uh, also T. Ulrich uh, Brebik, uh, who is the current State Department 
Government Counselor and also Gordon Sounder, uh, Sondland, excuse me, the Ambassador to the European Union. And finally, Kurt D. Volker, who was a U.S. Special Envoy to the Ukraine, who actually resigned on Friday. So there you go. You have some uh, layers here. Again, we don't know exactly what happened, but it looks to be that some funny business is going on in the Trump camp. I'm sorry. It just seems like funny business. I mean, of course, you're going to have these guys talk about a witch hunt and all this. But again, you, uh, I don't know, just some, something here just doesn't add up to me. Again, I don't, I don't see how this whistleblower, again, this, uh, this is all from a whistleblower claim. This whistleblower came out of nowhere about a couple weeks ago and made this, uh, made this ac accusation about Trump. So again, it's a little bit crazy. Uh, but again, I find it a little bit uh, I, there is some, there is some, uh, ev some evidence. It's a little bit murky, but again, uh, with the holdup in the Ukraine payment for their defense fund, uh, you have some of that. Again, we're, we don't know exactly. We just have, you know, we just have little minor details right now. But again, we're gonna need some more details. Uh, Pompeo has a week to give all his information to Congress. At this point, honestly, uh, whether or not Trump is guilty, I, I honestly feel that we don't even need impeachment. We don't. We shouldn't even be forcing impeachment. I think we should just beat him up head up. Uh, I think the Democrats should just beat him head up in the next election. I think if they force their force uh, him out of office, I think what that what that does is it opens up uh, the Republican voters to just voting. Uh, for their people because they feel that, as though that their voice was unheard and they had that person dragged their person that they voted for dragged out of office. So I don't, I don't think that that uh, that really helps us in terms of another election. Uh, but again, if he's wrong, if he really is investigating, you know, using his power to investigate other people, uh, just his opponent, his political opponents, then that's. That's an egregious use of power, too. That needs to be checked to an extent. So, uh, you know, there is wrong. I just feel that, I mean, we're almost near. The, I mean, we're, we're almost at 2020. I mean, the election is next year. I mean, really, what can you find out to to tr to, to really, uh, you know, have force this guy to be impeached? I, I don't know what they find. And again, I just think they, they really... They keep opening up corners next with these Republican voters and these swing voters who really don't care for these situations. I I, I don't really think that the, the the average voter cares about this. I think the, the the liberal and the Democrat they're all into this and they're you know investing in this emotionally. Uh, they're trying to figure out what Trump is doing. They call it Trump derangement syndrome on the other side. I, I don't think it's a derangement syndrome, but I mean again he does some he does wrong. Uh, but again I, I I just think it's too late for an impeachment and and again I don't know what they get between now and the end of the year uh, to force that hand and again I don't think that that's necessarily the healthy thing to do for this country I think they just need to let this play out and allow the voters to decide come next November if you know everything comes out let, let all the let all the evidence slowly leak itself out and let the, the voters at that point decide whether or not they want to vote for Trump again because obviously he's going to be running opposed unopposed on the Republican side we already see that happening so uh you know if we if if the Democrats fail and they don't end up you know indicting him or getting him you know to uh well you know finding him guilty of anything you know it's almost like you know giving him you know almost a free pass to win the next election so again I I wouldn't have pushed it uh, unless there's really, uh, without a shadow of doubt, some evidence that you can really pinpoint to and really expose him for. Other than that, I, I just think it's a, 
in my opinion, it's a little bit of a waste of time. And uh, fr frankly, I mean, I get, again, if he's if he's if it's proven that you know he's wrong, he's done all these things, then definitely you have a case. But I think at this point, you know, we've already wasted two or three years. We had him with the Mueller report. If you couldn't find him with anything from the Mueller report, then I mean, what else can you find now? I mean, you I, you gotta have. I mean, again, you better have some transcripts that say, you know, exactly what you're claiming. You better have him say. Look, look at this guy. He better be saying in layman's terms, in those in those transcripts, you better have something that says he's been you know, look at this guy, follow this guy. Something you gotta ask something at this point because I, I don't think the Democrats necessarily have the strongest case going into this. So we will see. All right, y'all. I will be taking a, a quick break. Oh, and before I let you go, there is one more fact that I want to say here. More than 300 national US national security, US national security and foreign policy officials signed a statement supporting an impeachment query inquiry so there you go there's a lot of people that that do realize that something's going on and they're at least willing to see that a investigation is conducted so i will give congress that they do have that going for them uh but again they just better hope, they just better hope something comes up uh within that uh investigation process but i'm gonna take a quick break and when i come back i'll be going over some college football all right y'all Alright y'all, I am back. Let's talk some college football for a little bit. We got some news to go over first, starting off with the top 25. Uh, now there was a loss to start off the week. This time it was in Berkeley, California. The Golden Bears, the number 15 team at the time. They're going to definitely drop down in the rankings. Uh, but the number 14 team in the nation, Cal, took their first loss of the season. Actually, the number 15 team in the nation, excuse me, took their first loss of the season to Arizona State at home, like I said, in Berkeley. The final score was 24 to 17. Now, both teams would just exchange two touchdowns within the first half, uh, but Cal would actually take a lead 17 to 14 with a great Thomas field goal in the fourth quarter. Now, Eno Benjamin from the Sun devils he had three uh, rushing uh, rushing touchdowns but none more important than the game winner pretty much uh that he capped off uh with a capped off after a 15 play 75 yard sun devil drive that ate up six minutes of game clock in the fourth quarter really doing a number on cal's defense uh now uh, after two missed field goals from 37 and 50 yards out uh arizona state kicker anthony zendejas would hit a 43 yarder to push the score to 24 17 and that would be your final for cal uh, their quarterback chase garbert uh his, their starting quarterback chase garbers injured his shoulder in the second quarter and the Bears would not attempt to pass the entire their entire first drive of the second half. For ASU, uh, they were led by quarterback Jaden uh, Daniels, who went 14 to 24 for 174 yards. He also had 84 rushing yards. Eno Benjamin, I mentioned him uh, just a second ago. He had 100 100 yards on the ground to go with those three touchdowns. And linebacker Merlin Robertson would lead the defense with 11 total tackles. He also had a half a sack as well. For Cal. Uh, they were led originally by quarterback Chase Garbers, who went 9-12 for 117 yards and a touchdown before the injury. And running back Christopher uh, Brown Jr. will lead all rushes for Cal with 53 yards and also a touchdown. And quarterback Devin Monster, in his relief, would just go 5-14 for 23 yards and an interception. Like I said, he didn't even throw a pass on Cal's first drive of the second half. So there you go. That's kind of how they 
felt, I'm guessing that's how they felt about him. Uh, and wide receiver uh, Trevon Clark, uh, he had 68 uh, receiving yards. And on defense, Cal was led by linebacker Cameron Good, who had 11 total tackles and touchdown. We got some more news going here. Uh, Actually, still in the Pac-12 here, and it looks like Oregon will be landing a new transfer. Wide receiver Devin Williams will be joining the Oregon football program after transferring from USC this week due to issues with playing time. We'll get to that in just a second. In 2018, he was a number 16 recruit, overall recruit in the nation, and was the number one player coming out of California. Now, last season, he just caught four catches in 12 games for 87 yards, and he mostly played for the special teams out there in Southern California. Uh, this season, will, he would uh, he will be using a red shirt, which will give him three years of eligibility at the, at the University of Oregon starting next season in 2020. Now, the season, this season, uh, he really didn't get too much playing time in the season opener. Actually, he didn't get any uh, playing time in the season opener versus Fresno State. That is when he was still playing for the Trojans, of course. And he only caught one pass in their win, uh, one pass for 11 yards in their win versus Stanford. They're pretty loaded right now. Uh, at USC, they have one receiver, Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, he already has like 40, like 20 something catches with 400 something yards. Uh, every one of their receivers outside of him is already a triple digit receiving yard. So, again, he just hasn't. Uh, Devin Williams hadn't made himself a factor just there in USC yet. So, he's looking to uh, transfer. He could have played for Oregon State there. What, what he originally had planned to play for Oregon State, our main rival uh, here. Well, not here, but because I'm in California right now. But for my team, the Ducks, that is our main rival, the Beavers. Uh, he had originally uh, wanted to play for Oregon State, but again, he switched up at the last minute, kind of, and kind of gave them an FU and went to join the Ducks. So again, that'll be a very interesting storyline uh, when we see Oregon State later on this year. But Oregon lands a new uh, transfer. We'll see how far. I think, and I think this in this uh, program here, he'll have a lot more burn here. Um, this is definitely a running back focused school, and we do we do definitely focus on some passing attack, of course, uh, but definitely we do a spread attack. So a lot of different receivers get touches not just one or two uh so he'll definitely you know start next year when he does when he is able to play when he is eligible i could i could definitely see him being a factor in our spread at least when we you know pass the ball in our spread offense in terms of passing so I think that was a good pickup for Oregon. And finally, uh, the University of, of Nebraska has decided to invest in some improvements. Uh, like I said, uh, out there in Lincoln, the Cornhuskers have decided to reveal plans for a $155 million, 350,000 uh, square foot complex for football. It will include a new locker room, strength and conditioning center, uh, sorry, athletic medicine facility. We also got an a new, they also will be adding a new equipment room and meeting room for coaches and players and also an outdoor practice facility. It will also include a study hall for all of the student athletes and uh, it will be pretty much started next spring and it should be finished by 2020. Uh, you know, good luck for the Nebraska course. I'm pretty sure they're trying to get some type of recruits. Uh, they're trying to increase those number of recruits. They're trying to get some more five-star ones. It's been a struggle for them. Uh, they've been struggling a lot. At least recently, they actually took a big loss uh, this weekend to Ohio State that we'll talk about. Uh, so again, I, I think it's a good look for them. Of course, they're trying to attract as many uh, 
as many recruits as they can and it's not like they don't have the money to do so this is a this is a program uh, that would that was selling out consistently from uh, 1960 all the way until about 2008 uh, something like that so again I mean they have the resources uh, that just that program has just uh, been on some hard times since they moved from the Big 12 to the Big 10. For whatever reason, uh, the Big 10 has been really uh, taking it to Nebraska, um, and more so in ways more so than I ever saw them in the Big 12. Because I, I, I got a good chance to see Nebraska in the, in the Big 12 for a while. Um, Nebraska was in the Big 12 pretty much uh, from the, I want to say the 60s when it was the Big 8 or something like that, the 70s or something like that, when it was originally the Big 8. And then it would be around, like I said, until about 2011 or 2010, something like that. And they've won a couple national championships in the Big 12. They've won conference championships. Ever since they've been in the Big 10, it's been a very uh, difficult road for them. They have not been recruiting very well. Uh, they have not, and, and of course, you see it uh, within their records. If you're in, if you know, if you're following uh, Nebraska uh, to any extent, you'll see that they've been struggling since they've joined this conference. And so, uh, conference realignment does wonders for certain teams, and for others, uh, it just doesn't uh, seem to work. I mean. I mean, I, I guess for Nebraska, I, I guess they figured in terms of recruiting, it might work out better for them or for whatever reason. I'm not too sure why they uh, switched conferences, but that was their des decision. And um, and again, it, I don't think it has worked for them. So they're, they're looking to improve their facilities, uh, which were already great, which were already pretty much uh, recent as of 2010, I think something like that. They had a major uh, overall. Um, and uh, again, I, I guess, you know, that, that, Times are tough, and they they're looking for something that's something extra to uh, to pop out for these to, to, that pops out to these recruits. So I get it, uh, but again, it's gonna be more, it's gonna take more than a new practice facility to get that team to be raw again. That's just my that's just my opinion. But let's move on to the top twenty five scores from over the weekend. We're gonna start off uh, with some fr uh, action from Friday, excuse me, uh, with Penn State getting it done in a very easy game against Maryland, uh, fifty nine to zero. Of course, Penn State should hold on to that number 12 ranking matter of fact they probably should move up uh with what has, with what else has transpired over the course of the weekend up next we have number 14 iowa getting it done against middle tennessee 48 to 3 uh, we have wisconsin out here getting it done in some big 10 action against uh, northwestern the number eight the number eight badgers win that game 24 to 15 against northwestern like i said we have number 20 michigan getting a, a blowout win a shutout win against Rutgers 52 to 0 I would not read too much into this Rutgers is trash I'm just gonna say it right away do not look into this as this is some turning point for Michigan I would not be surprised if they drop uh, the very next game uh, depending on who it is but again I don't I don't I don't I don't have them a favorite versus Michigan State Ohio State so again Rutgers has always been trash since they moved to the Big Ten Rutgers has been so so in college football regardless do not take this win this blowout win as something to, to hang michigan's hat on i'm not buying it um Rutgers is a dumpster fire anybody could have done this maybe except for the exception of maybe uh indiana and the really bad the other bad teams in the big 10 I don't don't this is don't don't believe the hype um we also got number six Oklahoma getting it done against Texas Tech, 55-16. We got some SEC matchups here. We got number 23 Texas A&M getting it done against Arkansas. Uh, I believe the final score here was 20. Uh, sorry, 23. 
uh, 27, excuse me, to 23. Uh, Texas A&M moves on to 33 and two. Arkansas moves on to two and three. Uh, for Texas A&M, they were led by quarterback Kellen Mond, who went 23 of 35 for 251 yards, for also three touchdowns and also an interception. Running back Isaiah Spiller, he gave up a fumble, but he also ran for a touchdown as well. Uh, wide receiver Aeneas Williams had five catches and 80 yards, as well as a touchdown. And wide receiver Courtney Davis had seven, uh, seven catches for 62 yards and two touchdowns. On defense, uh, not too much to say here, but defensive lineman Justin uh, Madbuki got an interception uh, for the Aggies. Let's move on to Arkansas. They were led by quarterback Ben Hicks, who went 15-27 for 188 yards and a touchdown. Nick Stark, well, he would also go down to injury as well. Uh, his backup, Nick Starkle, will go 12 of 17 for 109 yards, and he threw for a touchdown as well. On the ground, the Razorbacks were led by running back Rakeem Boyd, who had 89 rushing yards. They also had help from running back uh, DeWah Wally, who had a rushing touchdown. And wide receiver Cheyenne O'Grady uh, led all. Uh, sorry, led all Arkansas receivers with uh, eight eight catches in 91 yards. Uh, he also had a. a don't think he had, actually he did have a touchdown and wide receiver Mike Woods had 62 receiving yards and a touchdown as well for Arkansas on defense they had a defensive back Monteric Brown get an interception and they also got a fumble recovery uh, that turned into a touchdown for linebacker Dijon Harris so again um Arkansas comes up short in this one. I think actually no. The final score was 34 to 27 for Texas A&M. Excuse me. So Texas A&M, uh, they finally get their first conference game of the year. Uh, the first conference win of the year, of course, is against Arkansas, who's just decent. But again, uh, Texas A&M remains in the top 25. Let's move on. Number 21. Uh, sorry, number one, Clemson uh, got a. Well, they escaped out of North Carolina with a win here. Uh, the number one team in the nation wins that one, 21 to 20. We got the number 19, Florida, beating Towson. I never will. I have heard of Towson. They are somewhere in the uh, Baltimore area, somewhere around there. But they're in Maryland. Uh, number nine, Florida, beats Towson 38 to zero. We also got number two, Alabama, getting it done against Ole Miss. 59 and 31 was the final score here. That's actually the most points the uh, Crimson Tide has given up so far this year. So uh, there you go. At uh, up next we have number 18 uh, Virginia taking a loss to number 10 Notre Dame. 20 to 35 is going to be your final score here uh, for Virginia. They moved down to four and one, and for Michigan State they are now three and one. Three and one. Excuse me. Let's look at the stats for this one. For Virginia they were led by quarterback Bryce Perkins who went 30 of 43 for 300. 134 yards. He threw for two touchdowns. He also threw two interceptions as well. Uh, on the ground, Wayne Tulapapa led the way for the Cavaliers with 31 rushing yards. Wide receiver Hasise Dubois had uh, nine catches for 143 yards and a touchdown. And wide receiver Joe uh, Joe Reed had nine catches for 107 yards and uh, a touchdown as well. On defense, the Cavaliers were led by safety Joey Blunt, who had 10 total tackles, and also linebacker Zane. 
Zandier, who had eight total tackles and a sack. For Notre Dame, offensively, they were led by quarterback Ian Brooke, who went 17 to 25 for 175 yards. They also got tremendous help from running back Tony Jones Jr., who had 131 rushing yards. He also had three touchdowns on the ground as well. Tight end Cole Komet led all Irish receivers with 65 yards on four catches. And on defense, they were led by defensive back Tariq Bracey, who had seven total tackles, and also defensive lineman Julian Aquara, who had three sacks. The Irish would end up forcing seven sacks as a team as well. So tons of quarterback pressure. Uh, Good job by the Irish, at least in terms of defense, getting after the quarterback uh, and really shutting down Bryce Perkins and that running game uh, for G Virginia as well, only holding Tula Papa to three, 31 yards. And again, uh, Bryce Perkins did it though for 30, 334 yards, but two crucial interceptions uh, made by Notre Dame really uh, put the game pretty much in their favor and uh good, good, I, all i can say is good game from notre dame defensively uh let's move on we got number 25 michigan state pulling one out against indiana 40 to 31 we got number 17 washington getting it done against number 21 usc 28 to 14 we got some more sec action here with number seven auburn beating the brakes off the mississippi state bulldogs 56 to 23 and finally we have some Big Ten action here. And like I told you, uh, Ohio State put a shellacking on Nebraska, even with their new stadium or their new practice squad and their new practice facility that they want to, you know, unveil to the world. Uh, Ohio State won this one pretty easily, 48-7. to Cornhuskers did not stand a chance. Ohio State moves on to 5-0 on the year. Nebraska now stands at 3-2. Ohio State is looking to move up in those polls. They are currently 5 in the nation. But let's break down the stats here for Ohio State. They were led by quarterback. Justin Fields, who went 15 of 21 for 212 yards. He also threw for three touchdowns as well. He also ran for 72 yards as well as a touchdown. Up next, running back J.K. Dobbins will lead all rushers with 177 yards. And running back Master Teague, I like that name, Master Teague, Master Teague. I love it. I love it. Master Shredder. 77 yards on the ground. He also had two touchdowns. Wide receiver Austin Mack had six catches for 66 yards and a, a touchdown. And uh, wide receiver KJ Hill, the fifth-year senior, and also Grant Wilson had receiving touchdowns as well. On defense, Ohio State would force three touch, uh, three interceptions, excuse me, only gave up one offensive touchdown, of course. Uh, uh, sorry, Jeff uh, Akuda, uh, their def defensive back, he had two interceptions and also linebacker Malik Harrison at seven total tackles and a sack as well on uh, for Nebraska for Nebraska on offense they were led by quarterback Adrian Martinez who went eight of 17 uh, for 40 47 yards trash and three interceptions trash I'm just gonna say it now I'll tell you one thing that's helped been holding Nebraska back for years inadequate quarterback play i don't know what they've been trying to do they've been trying to have these these mobile you know run first quarterbacks the past few years it hasn't worked for one thing it hasn't i don't know what their offensive identity is but at the quarterback position 
they do not have what it, they have not recruited well there in years. They have not had any quality quarterbacks there uh, since I've been in high school. Uh, that's been Nebraska's uh, Achilles heel, regardless. Uh, he he had uh, 47 passing yards, 80, 81 rushing yards. You can give him that if you really want to give him that. Terrible game from Adrian Martinez. And in general, Nebraska quarterbacks are terrible. I'll be honest with you. They, they've been trashed since Tommy Frazier back in the 80s. Let's just be real here. I don't think there's been any really raw Nebraska quarterbacks. If I'm missing them, I'm missing them. I'll tell y'all later if I find one, but I don't think so. Uh, let's move on. Um, we have running back Dedrick Mills, who had 67 rushing yards for the Huskers. He also had a touchdown as well. And on defense, the Corn Huskers were led by safety Markel Dismuke, who had eight total tackles, and also defensive lineman Khalil Davis. He had uh, five total tackles and a sack. Uh, number 24, Kansas State took a loss to unranked Oklahoma State, 26-13. And finally, uh, in a real uh, final game of the week, uh, number 19, Utah, was able to get it done against U uh, Washington State in their Pac-12 uh, conference game. 38-13 was the final score there. Uh, before I let you guys go, we're going to talk about some boxing real quick of course last night was the welterweight title match between sean porter as well as errol spence errol spence was able to get a split decision victory uh for those of you who do not know what that may mean uh it, it means that two of the three judges uh had him as a winner uh and also but the third judge had sean porter as a winner so uh for the scorecards you had a you had a 116 111 for spence you had 115-112 for Sean Porter. And again, you had 116-111 for Aero Spence. Again, from what I saw, I saw a great welterweight matchup. Uh, I saw a lot from Sean Porter you don't normally see. This was definitely Aero Spence best fight and toughest challenge that he's had so far. Uh, definitely um Sean Porter did a lot to keep up the pace, uh, did a lot to force the action. I did not, I did not think he had it in him to go for 12 rounds in terms of his stamina or his endurance, uh, but he definitely had it. He definitely could take a shot. He took. Uh, I think some of Spence's best shots. Uh, definitely a, a far departure uh, from what you saw, uh, at least in Porter's last fight, I believe it was against Keith Thurman. It's a little bit more conservative offensively. Didn't throw as many punches, uh, but in this one, he kind of let, uh, let caution flow to the wind. Uh, it was a really good fight from both guys. I think for Spence, I think his just his overall capabilities uh just saw him through that fight there were just there was just stretches where he just looked uh that he was just getting the better of, the, of some of the exchanges and, and it just and those just add up for you uh again this was this was a split decision and i get that you know i could see a, i could very well see a judge uh uh siding with Porter, I uh, actually looked at the scorecard. Well, I looked at CBS's scorecard. They also went with Porter as well. So again, it's basically, uh, you know, kind of what you saw in the fight. Uh, I definitely saw enough to where Errol Spence won it, but again, I could see where Case could be where, especially in the middle rounds, uh, that Porter, you know, was putting in some work. I think this is definitely going to be a fight with a rematch. I definitely going to think. I definitely think you're going to see these guys go at it again uh, within the next year or so. Uh, really, uh, really phenomenal fight. I haven't really seen too many good uh, fights recently, but this was a good one. Errol Spence again. Uh, he's still undefeated. 
uh, Sean Porter, I think this is his third loss he's taken on his career so far. But again, uh, definitely not a slouch. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, I suggest that you do. I think it's one of the, the biggest events of the week. And I think people kind of missed out on it because I think boxing isn't the biggest draw anymore like it used to be without Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao dominating everything. But again, uh, two really good fighters, Sean, with Sean Porter and Errol Spence. And I think uh, uh, one of these two, well, I think for Spence, he's definitely going to be the undisputed champion at some point in that division so look out for that as well all right y'all i'm gonna call it a wrap for today uh well for now at least i'm thinking about coming back tonight and giving you guys some nfl news and some nfl action as well as some baseball stuff as well but if not i will be back tomorrow morning of course with the monday morning special so again this is your man l jamal if you're looking to get in touch with me i do have the instagram and i am on facebook you can look me up there at l jamal johnny e-l-j-a-m H-A-D-J-A-N-I. Once again, I am signing out. If anybody hasn't told you yet, I love you. Peace out. One love, and I will holla at y'all later.